0: Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly tarot podcast about life, death, and rebirth. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for being with me today. Um, I'm so excited to get to this episode today. Um, We have an embodiment interview today. This guest is somebody who, in my journey with being on Instagram for the last, like, five or six years. Oh, it's been longer than that. Um, Since 2012. Um, I really, I have loved this person. Um, It's, they have been one of my earliest sources of Instagram wisdom, medicine. um, And it's been a real honor to get to know them in IRL as well. Um, I had the honor of, uh, teaching a workshop to, uh, our guests, uh, community space many years ago, I think back in 2015 in San Diego. Um, and it was pretty much like the honor of a lifetime. Uh, they're amazing and we have them for a really special embodiment interview today. So our guest on the podcast is the embodiment of Queen of Pentacles, the High Priestess, and Death. We have Yaya Aaron Rivera Merriman, a rebirth doula, herbalist, creative director of Active Culture Family, and the co-facilitator of Medicine Mandala. Um, Yaya is again like through their. Um, Instagram, Active Culture Family. I think Yaya is one of the most important, beautiful sources for nonviolent communication, for herbal medicine, for magic, for honesty, for clarity, for magic in all forms, um, especially around the embracing of illness as medicine the embracing of all challenge as some form of medicine and certainly empowerment around cooking food and how that can reconnect us to our magic as well. Um, Yaya is a very, um, offers so much wisdom on their Patreon page and on their Instagram and has for many years about how, um, cooking in the way that they do very much of the cauldron cooking is, um, has helped so deeply to reconnect them to this sense of magic and to, um, also help them to, um, see relief cyclical changes in their body, um, with chronic illnesses. Um, so Yaya is somebody that I respect and admire so much and who has offered so much. And this interview, they came with all the wisdom that they possess, which is uh was an amazing experience. And I'm so excited to get to um share this interview with all of you. So let's talk a little bit about the why of Yahya's embodiment cards and kind of what they're all about. So We seem to have a theme with our guests (laughs) for this kind of first season of uh, (laughs) this new format of the podcast where kind of everyone has a death embodiment. And I actually think that's pretty important um, because it can show a lot of different ways about how folks um, we're, were always working with death embodiment whether we're kind of aware of it or not. So I think that that's really important. So much of Yaya's journey has been informed by um, the deaths and rebirths that they've gone through as a witch, as a person, as a healer, as a lover. Um, And even more than we were able to get into on our podcast, there's just so much death and rebirth in their journey. And I think true of most of us who walk this path. Um, Another one of the other reasons or the other card, uh, the second card that Yahya has big embodiment with is high priestess. And Yaya is our first high priestess embodiment. Um, one of the secondary energies, um, high priestess is the great receiver. High priestess is the knower, um, moves in time with the lunar is connected to all different phases of life. And when we, are in an embodiment with this card, there's often a big experience of needing to kind of wait and hear the wisdom rather than getting the wisdom from other people. So to say that we have a high priestess embodiment is certainly not to say that there is not psychic ability, gifted ability, channeling ability, because there is. Um, But it also, and that's certainly true in Yahya's case, when we have somebody who feels that they embody high priestess or if that's a card that speaks to us or means something to us, another way to look at it, which I think is uh, just as important as the psychic intuitive lunar-ness of it, of um, it, is that it's a rhythm of life that not everybody embodies in their lifetime, which has to do with waiting and listening rather than going and learning on the way. And there can be both, but there is quite a bit in high priesthood's embodiment of listening and quiet. And that is important because, um, in this kind of culture and time of like a lot of noise and social media and like constant movement and expansion. And in this time when we're kind of like prioritizing other people to tell us what to do and to be on our path and we have trouble trusting ourselves. Having high priestess embodiment is pretty rare because it's just a rhythm that not everybody lives in. It's a very unique rhythm and Yaya certainly does live in that rhythm of deep knowledge and allowing there to be lots of luxury, um, lots of space. Um, I also don't want to take away from the fact that Yaya has certainly thrown themselves into something without knowing and has learned along the way. All of us have, but there is a very big high priestess embodiment with, uh, with Yaya that I really wanted to honor on this episode. And I think comes at, comes through very deeply their knowledge of the esoteric and commitment to spiralic living. That's very high priestess. Um, but the card that I wanted to explore with Yahya today in depth was uh queen of pentacles. The queens and the tarot are the Essence of embodiment in and of themselves. Because when you have a you when you have a queen embodiment, you're often not talking about the fact that you have a queen embodiment, which isn't to say that we talk about having terror, you know, tower embodiment or justice embodiment or whatever. But queen embodiment is an emanation. It emanates from our being. It's not something that we are trying to do, it's just something that we're really doing queen energy is also often a very internal, um, internally guided thing. So it is very similar to high priestess in that regard. Queen of pentacles is water and earth. This is the mud of the queens. We can use mud packs to cool things. We work with mud to go into, um, deep earth energy. Um, There is a lot of earth power to Yaya's personality and their journey through this life. Um, There's been a lot of literal working through the mud of life for Yaya. There has been connection with land and with the intensity of land since they were born, which we talk about on this interview. Um, And not the like magical thing about working with land, like being part of um, a farm where she was working before school and chopping firewood and, um, really kind of being born there in that space, coming away from it, then coming back to it. Um, that's very connected to, um, queen of pentacles. Queen of pentacles is the caretaker of the body. So the physical body with, um, the pentacle suit. Wow. That's an intense siren. Gotta love that New York angel sound. God. Um, queen of pentacles is the keeper of the body and the caretaker of the body with pentacles being connected to earth and being such a physical suit. We're often, um, projecting pentacles out into like money and earthly things and jobs. And queen of pentacles really brings it home to the physical vessel. So when we are in need of physical care, when we, our body needs something, it needs to move, um, reconnect, um, needs to be nourished or fed in a certain way. We often will get queen of pentacles as kind of a signal to us, that we are being called home to take better care, to caretake in some way. And I think that's really important to mention because Queen of Pentacles, this is very, very connected to Yaya's journey as well. One of, as a chronically ill person myself, um, one of the most important and inspirational things about Yaya to me has been the way that they have so powerfully and beautifully lived in alignment and when they haven't lived in alignment, talking about living and coming back to alignment with um, being in a body that has pain sometimes, or aches sometimes, or things that are going on with it that don't they don't understand sometimes. And um, how to be with that rather than trying to move past it is very, very powerful. Um, And nourishing it rather than fixing it is also a really big part of Yaya's journey. And it's a big part of Queen of Pentacles. Queen of Pentacles is also the caretaker of the caretaker. And with Yaya's gifts, with active culture family really um, connecting in the community web with their unbelievably beautiful um, medicine mandala green mentorship, which is, I think what it's called. Um, I'm so in the flow that I can't remember, but I'll correct myself later if that's not true. Um, I think it's green apprenticeship. I'm sorry about that. Apologies. Um, with their beautiful, basically year long mentorship that, um, is all about stewardship of the land. That's also a huge part of queen of pentacles, the connection of this physical body to the physical land outside and where, uh, that intersects with movement, food, life, etc. Um, so there's a lot of beauty with that too. And, um, also the way that Yaya, um, speaks from the heart, emphasizes nonviolent communication, um, there's a lot of beauty there around the intersections of nature of caretaking of body work. Um, they are a rebirth doula. So that's obviously a huge part of, uh, their work and how that all shines through and shows up. And, um, I just think that they couldn't be a more perfect embodiment of all of these disparate different energies, um, the earthly, as well as the esoteric, um, the spiralic as well as the kind of webbed. So it's exciting to be able to bring this into view. Um, uh, So yeah, without further ado, (laughs) um, I give you my conversation, my Queen of Pentacles High Priestess Death Embodiment Interview with Yaya Erin Rivera Merriman. Hope all of you have an absolutely beautiful week and I'll catch you next time. Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, a weekly tarot podcast about life, death, and rebirth. Um, I am so excited and honored to have on the podcast joining us today, Rebirth Doula, Herbalist, Creative Director of Active Culture Family, Co-Facilitator of Medicine Mandala, Green Apprenticeship, Yaya Erin Rivera Merriman. Welcome to the podcast, Yaya. Hi, Lindsay. (laughs) It's good to be here. It's really really good to have you. Um so you are someone that I mentioned in the intro that I have like deeply and passionately followed, loved um for years now. It's kind of amazing to look back like it's been I feel like 7 years. Um your no. Oh yeah, your work is so potent, so beautiful and um you are, uh, we've had a couple of embodiment interviews that have kind of like shared um, cards and one of the ones that I really feel that you embody so beautifully is the medicine of death, which is so nice and the way that you speak about it, which I'd love to talk about. Um, but you are our first queen of pentacles and our first high priestess, <laughs> which mm. is really, really exciting because I feel like the way that you channel, communicate, um, the way that your journey has kind of evolved and what you share so unique and powerful. And I'm really excited to get to kind of like ask the questions I've both always wanted to know. And I think both represent kind of the unification of those three archetypes so beautifully in the way that only you can. Um, and that's a mouthful, but, um, I wanted to start with, uh, a question about the way that you cook, feed, and nourish yourself. So for those of you who know Yaya, um, you are, and the way that you talk about your relationship to the land, to cooking, to food, um, is really extraordinary because I know that you are also very open about having autoimmune diseases and some chronic pain and how food has been an incredible healer for you, but also kind of a, um, I don't know, it seems like a deep reclamation, like your journey with that has been so powerful. And, um, I would love to know kind of in your own words, it's an enormous question, but I would really love to know, like, when did that journey for you start? where you started to notice, um, like, was that a gateway in to your gifts as a rebirth doula, as an herbalist, as kind of a witch? Hmm.
1: I wouldn't say it was the gateway in for me, but I would say that it was what took everything out.
0: I'm just waiting for that oh, siren. Oh, <laughs> we talk right through the sirens on this podcast.
1: Okay. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay, you can talk great. right through them. Totally. Thank you for waiting now. That's beautiful. That's,
1: Thank that's you. so New York of you. <laughs> uh, life goes on. Yeah, it's true. So <clears throat> I wouldn't say that it was a gateway in for me. I would say that it was a locked door, food and the body for a long time. And because that door was locked, I saw my um, peace and healing and um, purpose in life through the very mystical realms and um, the invisible realms. And there was a way in which I was always longing for all of this magical theory to be more real. And it wasn't until pretty late in the game, like really just the past maybe four years that mm-hmm. I have understood the key to feeling all of the, the mystical truths that I understood intellectually and was even like, even understood enough to like live my life by it out of faith. Um, I was able to actually make the connection that through uh, food and through the body, uh, through my senses, all of those mystical truths actually um, can be felt uh, in a very real way. And that was like the most exciting thing is like, oh, like now it's real, because now I feel it in my body. Totally. Um, yeah, so I definitely my journey with the magic of food and like food as medicine did start in my teens. I, I met a woman when I was in high school who was, was living on her own and and not in high school was, you know, 18 a grown up and was vegan. And she really taught me a lot in our friendship because we would go to the store together and she would take a really long time because she was reading the ingredients of all the packages. Mm. And that was mind blowing to me at 16, that you would read the ingredients, every ingredient. And before making a purchase and before eating something, I had never seen anybody do that. And was able to pick that up right away. And then she would suggest to me when I was have a lot of allergies. Well, you know, like for me, dairy really makes my allergies worse. And maybe you might want to like try not eating dairy. And I was just open, mm-hmm. was open to be like, let's be best friends and just do all the stuff together. So like you're doing veganism, like, okay, let, well, let's do that. And I was able to completely cure really severe allergies through stopping eating dairy in my teens. So there was definitely an awareness that like you can adjust your your subjective sense of well-being through your diet. And that was an important like thing to have installed fairly early on. But then I just I stopped there for a long time and I ate a lot of vegan junk food and, um, you know, went on to to actually potentially destroy my health through my vegan diet. Uh, mm. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't till many, many, many initiations with elders who just were kind of always saying the same thing, like, you know, well, you could do whatever you want, but if you want to study this path, you need to eat meat. Like mm. you need to, to eat animal protein. Yes. Um, that's what we're doing here. So you can go off and search the cosmos for something else, or you can plug in with this earth wisdom that we're holding. And I have in every one of those opportunities chosen to surrender my ideas about health and ethics and everything to just um, try what was being offered in from these wisdom lineages. And in every case, it really grounded my gifts and my magical proclivities and strengthened my intuition and, uh, you know, did all the things that I was, I was trying to do through my health journey. So, um, here I am today, maybe not in such a different place, but, um, just, just understanding on an even deeper level, like we really have a lot of power over our experience of being in this
0: body through what we
1: choose to eat.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Um, and I feel like you have I'm I have a million questions about much of what you just said, which was extraordinary. I agree one hundred percent with all of that. Um and I sort of want to take a gentle avenue into your relationship with plants and with the land. And um, I know you grew up on a Christmas tree farm, which I feel like is incredible. Um, I feel like you were being initiated before, <laughs> you know, you even came through Earthside. Um, what, you know, I got my first tarot deck when I was 12 and it took me until I was like 30 to realize like, Oh, I'm, I've always had a connection with this um, it's like, kind of like I was the last one to know. And it seems like it's, mm-hmm. it seems like it's 16. If you were kicking it with a friend, like reading packages, like you probably had you probably many steps ahead of me, but I'm just curious. Cause I know that working with herbs, especially Kava, um, it seems like it's morphed, evolved with every stage of your life. And I'm just curious. It's like one of those like kind of leading interview questions, just because it's probably so big. But when did your um when do you feel like your initiation as sort of a plant medicine person happen?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I like the setup that you gave there, which just <laughs> made space for like, what what has been my experience where I definitely speak to people who Talk about like I was living an urban life and then I just woke up one morning as a completely different person, or I had this huge spiritual awakening or uh, whatever. And mm-hmm. I don't have that story. Like, my story is one of like long, slow, excruciating, borderline invisible layering up of experiences mm. that in retrospect I can see there is a continuity, but like, gosh, it didn't feel like it at the time. Same. So, Yeah. Growing up in like very rural Connecticut on this 100 acre tree farm with my aunts and uncles and my grandparents, um, that did not feel remotely spiritual (laughs) at the time. It felt like just. Back-breaking hard work, and you know, we would get woken up at six in the morning to go out, get our snowsuits on, and go in the truck with my dad to get like a cord of firewood and carry it up the icy deck steps and stack it on the steps and be freezing. And all of our friends were watching cartoons on the weekends and like whatever, going to soccer or something. And we were working and we got paid a quarter an hour to work in the family business when we were six. Um, So like I could saw down your Christmas tree with a hand. Saw when I was like six and seven years old. Uh, Amazing. yeah. So there's kind of a thing like Merriman work ethic, like that's definitely very East coast, um, and, you know, related to Puritan work ethic. Uh, but that was their way of being, but that, that way of being it it is actually closer to an indigenous way of life where you're very connected to all the trees all the plants but not in a romantic porn kind of way like backdrop for your story but in a like you're connected to them because you're survival is tied to them. And if Mm -hmm. you're not making like your living and like growing your food and uh, like through the efforts of your connection to the land, then like everyone dies, you know, Uh, like everyone starves. So of course, my parents did have like Um, other kinds of contemporary jobs also, but everybody worked in the family business on the night at night and on the weekends. And so I was kind of living a double life of being like a normal kid, eating bagels and going to like school and reading the babysitters club and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that. And then having this other experience of this like family culture that my grandparents really created through just their, like the, power of their being and the strength of their vision for what they wanted to offer at like to the next generations as a family experience. And that, I mean, it took me till very recently to understand like how formative that was, how important that was, how healing and protective that was like Mm -hmm. insulating me from a lot of like, really bad cultural programming that I was also immersed in. And so when I was a teenager, I wanted nothing more than to get as far away from that as possible. It's like, I'm moving to New York city. I'm going to become a famous artist. I'm going to marry a rock star and I'm going to never come back to Connecticut. And I'm never going to make my kids carry wood in the snow, you know? (laughs) Totally. Uh, but then, of course, I had to go all the way into that other lifestyle to see that it's it sucks uh, and make my way very slowly back to, like, living on a tree farm and um, running a business with my chosen family off of the land and um and now my mom sends me books that she saved from when my grandmother died. And they're mm. all like foraging medicinal mushrooms, like plants of the, of the East Coast, like all these like, collectible hardcover mm-hmm. books that were my grandmother's. And we didn't talk about like I wasn't interested in learning that from her when I was a kid. I, I thought it was all a chore. I was horrified when I, we were hiking in the woods and I saw lichen on a tree and I pointed it out and my grandparents like climbed the tree cut the lichen down, took it home, cut it up and put it in the lasagna for dinner. And all that I got out of that was never point out a mushroom to your grandparents again because they're going to make you eat it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. This is so funny. It's so true. But somehow...
1: Yeah, and somehow it's all absorbed and, and mm-hmm. they knew all the plants, they knew all the trees, they knew all the flowers, all the seasons. Wow. They were so intimately a part of of their land. And that <laughs> I'm I'm pleased to find that even when your kids and grandkids act like they don't care at all, that actually it's all absorbed and it's all in there and available <laughs> to them as as a choice to make later when they have a better sense of like, huh? the choices out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. That's beautiful. So I guess, (laughs) thank you. I guess to, to really be more explicit with your question then, um, I was in New York City and trying to be an artist and jewelry designer and my body was really breaking down. And so I started to go to classes at the New York Open Center and connected with Robin Rose Bennett and some of her Equinox ceremonies and learned that her teacher was Susan Weed and I cashed out my teacher's retirement of New York City fund to pay to go and live with Susan Weed for her live-in shamanic herbalist apprenticeship strictly to heal myself. Just my mm-hmm. body was completely breaking down. My adrenals were completely shot. I was having a migraine every single day for many, many years. And, um, so I, it was a, it was a selfish journey just to try to heal my own level of pain and, I was like, I'm just doing this for myself. And Susan said, oh, yeah, that's what they all say. You know, just wait. People are going to ask you for this information one day and you're going to give it to them. And I was just like, Haha, she doesn't know me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, it, and it took me like eight years after graduating that apprenticeship to ever speak about herbal medicine to another human being wow. and another, you know, five years after that to to really be like. Okay, I I guess I'm an herbalist.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. When were you... um, Because I know you do so much work for anyone who doesn't know. um, You do so much deeply important, vital, life-changing work around um, really conscious communication, um, definitely sexuality, and you hold kava ceremony when was your first time um meeting and connecting with kava
1: well i do like that story and i always like to say that i think we all kind of have a fantasy story in our heart about how we'll connect with a green ally or how we'll connect with like a, a teacher plant and this was not that you know i was unemployed and in the mom park desperately wondering how I would ever get a job and raise a child at the same time and ran into someone who said, Hey, there's this place down the road that everybody is really happy that works there. My buddy runs it. Do you want me to call them and see if they want to hire you? And I was just like, well, everyone's happy that works there. Okay. I'm in. I had no idea what I was signing up for, Mm. but it was a vaporizer company (laughs) and just handmade wooden vaporizers. And In the interview process, they were very interested in my background in herbalism and uh, ended up they ended up hiring me, not really having a position for me. So they were like, you know, if you want to like be on the line and make vaporizers and we'll talk about potentially like figuring out what to do with you, because we we need like we're trying to launch this new Kava product and we really need herbalists on staff to like help us understand how to do this in a good way. And so I just, you know, said, yeah, sure. Um, took a big leap of faith and ended up in a very small department that was running research trials on a a new kind of concentrated kava that's made in the same way that cannabis concentrates like wax or shatter mm. are made. Um, it's a CO2 extraction. And so my, I was not thinking this had anything to do with my herbalism or my spiritual path whatsoever. I just needed a job. I was just like a new mom. And, uh, so we were running these trials and really sifting through everybody's information who had things like depression and anxiety and were part of the trial to see how Kava worked for them. So just reading their stories, putting them together of course, we're supposed to try the product. So we would have the kava in our meetings and the meetings would morph into these like rituals and, um, you know, real counsel in service of the plant. Where it became clear to me anyway, very quickly that the plant had a way that it would need to be shared in order for success to happen. And that it was very unconventional by the standards of like a manufacturing company. Uh, Like they were going to go the trade show route. And it was like, nope, it wants these salons. It wants people sitting and and talking about issues that are coming up in their community. And, you know, just trust it. Everything will come from there. And So they were very open to that, but just ultimately decided that there as a company, they needed to go in another direction and they just completely needed to walk away from the whole Kava project. And so all of that Kava sat in a warehouse for a couple of years. While meanwhile, I I live fifteen minutes away, and I just started dreaming about it. The kava started Mm. talking to me through my dreams and telling me that there was more, and that I needed to just continue that relationship and explore and see what wanted to come out of it, and. So it was just a very long journey of surrendering to what the kava itself was asking me to do on its behalf. And first and foremost, that was like, don't let me die here in this warehouse. Mm, like, yeah. I know that you can share this. I know that you have circles of people coming together already. And that's what I need to come through in the best way. So please just just do what you do with your circles, but bring kava into that. So... It was scary, of course, um, because I'm, I'm like trained in a number of lineage traditions that there's kind of a best practices for um, sharing medicine with the community. And this was not that. Yeah. Um, And so it was very hard for me and I resisted quite a bit and the the kava just didn't really give up on me and just kept being like, I'm here, you're here, please let's do this. Um, Like, I need your help. And so just little by little, like, you know, once a year, a couple times a year, I started to to bring it out when I felt like there was a real need and and it was always deeply healing. And the idea was that it was there to help people have awkward conversations that needed to be had. There's a real connection with just kava and truth and truth speaking, but then what ended up being the pattern is that when people come together in community they might be having tough conversations about finances or co-housing or chores sharing but the like the harder conversation to have is what to do about the sexual energy that mm-hmm. that grows when you have a circle when you have a group of people you you put your wombs together you're in proximity and so that is where the kava temple sacred sexuality offering really came from was a need of the kava to say, I want to help people live in community and remember how, like relearn the the skills, specifically the communication skills necessary to live in closer proximity and to collaborate in a more ongoing way. And I'm there for any of the tough conversations, but the toughest conversation that's not being had right now is around sexual energy in community and how it's, shared and how it's not shared. Um, and so that, that was a a mission that I agreed to. I just kind of said, okay, well this, this isn't where I thought things were going, but, um, I'm a yes.
0: So here I am. That's amazing. And I love your story about how you connected with like, I, um, it's completely, completely different. Um, but I really, smiled when you shared the story of kind of like how you found this job because <clears throat> I am not a plant medicine person, uh meaning not an herbalist. But when I was 16, um I was I didn't know it at the time, but I was starting to get my first rolling PTSD symptoms really bad. And so there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of panic. And I found a book. I still to this day have no idea what book or how, um, but I got myself on Kava Kava, like m- without talking to anybody. <laughs> and it's a completely different derivative that than you were talking about, but, um, it's not to say that it's the same, but I feel like that was my first, um, experience with connection with a plant being, and since then, I have had many of those experiences very slowly. Um, although I don't work with herbal medicine, I just am on a journey of feeding myself and nourishing myself with it. But I feel like, yeah, let's like do, the doing away of like the romantic story about how we come into contact with like anything, like plants, herbs, tarot decks. It's like there's so much medicine in kind of the. Um, I feel like, like the story you shared was amazing. (laughs) Um, and I just really identify with that. I feel like nothing I've ever done has ever been like (sighs) sparkling in that way, you know? (laughs) And yet, and yet it like is, you know, so yeah, I loved it. Um, what, again, I have multiple questions, but, um, When did you understand that you were open, that you were a witch, that you could like receive, that you were connected in this way to your gifts, which, you know, again, is a big question, but do you have memories as a young person of um, connecting with something that you couldn't quite understand what it was?
1: Hmm. I think my, I, um, my story is, well, I like it because I feel like it, it just shows that, that if you're interested in magic, then it's for you. Uh, like if you're drawn to it, then you, you have, you can have it. Totally. Um, because you know, things that I think of as part of my magic now, like I actually, I have no ability to control my speech. So for better or worse, like sometimes I say really amazing things and sometimes I really trigger people. And I've come to see that it's all part of like the way that my instrument is constructed to serve goddess. And I like, am. Um, comfortable with that. Like I have accepted that. But as a child, like a very small child, my older cousins or my mom would just be like, Oh my God, you talk so much. Like, Oh yeah. my God, I don't even know what to do. I've never, I can't even believe that anyone so tiny can talk so much. <laughs> uh, and I would get embarrassed and I would try to stop and I would like not talk for like two days straight. Cause I'd be so embarrassed. Um, and that was when I was very little and I would never, you know it, like if i was in a less supportive environment or just i don't know had it, some different bad breaks in life mm-hmm. i could easily just have have viewed that as part of, of like a deficiency but that was definitely like my the first like signs of something was different about like me and then as soon as i got my received my moon Uh, and began bleeding like menstruating those hormones were like like acid for me like Mm -hmm. I just went into like such an intolerable depth of feeling which is like you know crying all the time like breaking out like really badly um, like falling in love with everyone I met like (laughs) just really excruciating sensitive experience. And at that same time, I just started like, I would go to the bookstore with my mom every week. And I just started like only buying magic books. And it would just it's like they came in with the hormones, this like next level of like data packet of like how to be in this life. Yes. And I just started devouring all the magic books that any like, you know, conventional bookstore would have, uh, the, everything in the library. I definitely had tarot decks, but I didn't understand like how to use them. Like I just thought I was supposed to just know, like just touch them. And if I was supposed to read tarot, then I would just know, like, I didn't understand that you needed to like train and like learn to read tarot. So I would just buy decks hoping that they would be the one that would like, um, suddenly <laughs> make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my orientation definitely from like 16 to potentially like even like 33 was just devouring anything in the 3D that had promised anything to do with magic, movies, candles, crystals, just kind of um, intuitively based on like, I like this, I want this, I'm going to keep this around me. And then that kind of graduated to living in New York city and being able to like consume like classes. And it was still like, wow, this person's like doing this crazy thread singing thing and it's totally weird. And maybe this is real. Maybe it's not, but here I am spending my money on it. Mm-hmm. Like just kind of consuming it all. And the, it really was like hard life experiences that had to, I had to go through like my Saturn return, like having a baby, like moving across the country like three times in two years, like getting divorced that like started to create like openings in my psyche where all of the devouring and like passive half-hearted training started to like um, reveal that it had been like doing something to my, my essence all along. So there was like just really maturing in the physiological sense as a woman that like started to bring out like just people started to say to me all the time like you're so magic you're so magic and like no one ever said that growing up it was like just people started to reflect back to me that my presence was doing something for them in a way that was like oh huh I guess I guess this has all been real mm-hmm. and and Then probably around that time, I was like, well, I'm, I'm still all in for this. It's still the only thing I care about. So like, how do I really commit to it? It's like, what do I need to do to like, like, marry this path, um, make it as like real and as possible. And I was able to find some teachers in different lineages that, that there was an opening for someone like me, you know, that that they agreed to teach me and, um, give me the transmissions and I I took to the practices right away. And then those doing sadhana every day mm. has become like a great amplifier of my like natural interests and proclivities and really like enabled me to see the bigger picture that I'm a part of and like source from the bigger picture and bring things from the bigger picture into the relative through like relatively normal exchanges like a conversation or a little bit of touch or, um, sharing a plant or food. And, um, so again, it's been a long, slow layering, but Mm -hmm. there were a few, a few main things, some of them just being hormonal changes of growing as a woman. And then, then really the final choice to take on a daily devotional practice that intention is to, um, more or less burn out your individual karmas and make your vessel as hospitable as possible to a, a greater intelligence to work through you. And I feel that that's happening now. And I couldn't mm. be happier. I like, couldn't ask for anything else. So uh, I, I'm, I'm here for now in a good,
0: really good place. <laughs> that's amazing. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. Um, You, <clears throat> Uh, have been again, um, a deep, you know, I don't know if inspiration is quite the right word, although of course you are, um, teacher from afar for me, what, which I say, Mm. which I say with respect to those who have actually deeply committed to studying with you, you know, but, um, I think you're a teacher to many of us. Um, something that I don't know that I've ever even expressed to you that, um, has really shifted the course of my life has permissioned me in a very quiet way. Um, is that you shared many years ago that, um, illness is medicine, that it is information. I don't even know if you remember sharing that, but you were speaking about essentially how there is medicine in everything. And, um, that, has stayed with me through, um, you know, the last year of my, I've had consistent stuff with body and illness, but the last, uh, year and change has been like hail, I guess like hail Mary time, I would say with me just, you know, like really coming back to my body and it has, um, that little spark, has really, um, been a deep comfort in moments when I kind of forget, cause I feel like we all do. Um, but you really live that, that really everything is bringing us information, everything. And I also feel that way, but it is so beautiful to see it reflected as brightly and as beautifully as you do. Um, and you know, by the time this goes out, this may or may not still be on your Instagram profile, but you Posted something that I deeply resonated with and agreed with the other day where you said, can a death wish be healthy? And Mm -hmm. you were kind of talking about that. And I consistently, I think as many of us do, like get those invitations to kind of leave the planet or not or whatever. And it's really been something that has been a, an actually very rich part of the tapestry of my life. It's very uncomfortable, but without it, I would not be able to serve who I'm serving. Um, and so it's just, first of all, just really bowing and appreciation and gratitude for all that you've brought and kind of how beautifully you live it. And secondly, um, I'm curious about your journey to, coming into the embodiment of those ideas, because in my experience, and obviously we're different people, it has taken a lot of really excruciating shedding to get to the point where I'm remembering every day, kind of like, oh yeah, all this is to support, to support eventually leaving the planet, not trying to outlive anything. Because there's such a strong over cultural narrative about like kind of doing things in order to not get injured, not have issues. Um, hopefully that's making sense. But, um, I know again that you've had experiences with fibromyalgia was that experience with illness, with injury. And again, these are my words. You may choose to upgrade the use of those words. Um, I know that that has been a very strong gateway for you, but how did you come to the understanding that um, these things that we sort of try to run away from are actually really huge wake-up calls that are offering us really potent medicine and information?
1: Hmm. Hmm. How did I come to this understanding? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely fibromyalgia is a major part of it, um, which I experience people experience as, you know, usually some combination of pain or exhaustion, but can also Mm -hmm. include like rashes and, you know, all kinds of like systems, deregulation symptoms. Um, And for me, it was really like sharp, acute, excruciating physical pain, that started also around 16, around that time of hormone shifts. And so I had a migraine every day from 16 to about 30. Um, and so I definitely learned to live like, like the way people talk about, you know, any oppressed people, how strong they are because they've never known like, like any way of being that doesn't, Uh, involve resistance. Um, like you need to resist and push back just to make space for yourself. And I feel like it was like living under a, like a slab of rough rock that was like crushing down on me from above, like in every moment. And I learned to move. I learned to, to do what I wanted to do. Like I was in touch with a purpose and a mission. And so I was just like, well, it feels like walking on broken glass, but I'm gonna do it, no matter what. Hell yeah! And so, you know, if if there are powers that be that like are anti life, then I definitely was born under some very powerful ones, and I believe that like my family, as um, being from Puerto Rico, like I have a lot of political ideas about, like those what those forces of oppression are and how long they have targeted like my people and that it's i just feel like maybe like as the next evolutionary iteration of my people i was just like well the pain's not going to stop so i'm just deciding that i cannot be controlled through pain mm. and um i'm just going to do all the things i want to do um And regardless of how it feels, which was really important, but then also like something that I needed to be healed from eventually because once I had less pain in my body, I needed to learn to listen to my body and to listen to communications like pleasure and pain as intelligent forces. But that came much later. First and foremost, I just needed to get on with my life by not being immobilized by this pain. And so just learning to... um, I guess it wasn't even learning at first, but just being in dialogue with like an oppressive force in every moment from a really young age and just being like, what is this? What is this? And like going to different healers, trying all different modalities of plants, of hands on body work, of Western medicine, uh, nothing helping. Like I was just in a very, very, very long experiment with what the tools and medicines available on planet earth even are and, Mm -hmm. um, which ones work and which ones work better. And, um, so I just had a lot of intimacy with illness, um, in the early part of my life. And it's just been a slow cooked stew that at a certain point there was enough wellness also in the mix to begin to, um, outnumber the, and push out the illness, but there was no, like one changing factor or one medicine or one modality that really did the trick. Um, just, um, I think really like my will to live, like my, my survival instinct, uh, just, it was like a hunger and I was able to just what whatever happened, follow, um, any opportunity, any leg up, any kindness, anything uh, that was offered to me to like, never squander it and always take the invitation and drop my ideas about who I was or what I wanted to be doing and just say, here's an opportunity to heal a little bit more. I'm going to do that right now. And, um, <laughs> I believe what I wrote that you're talking about is um, which was an epiphany for me, mm-hmm. is really illness is wellness. Mm. It's not just information. Illness is wellness because a healthy body, my definition of a healthy body is a body that gives feedback. And if your body is not giving feedback, then you will die. Yes. You will just go in whatever direction your ego or the forces around you drive you in until your body breaks down and you die. So any degree of pain we can be grateful for yes. because it's feedback and it, we might not know what it's trying to tell us, but you can be sure it's telling you stop what you're doing right now. Like, so it, you might, it might not be giving you the clarity you want. Like, well, what should I be doing? it's just, just not this just stop. Yeah. yeah. And that one communication can take us years to align with if the thing is telling you to stop doing is like work at the job that you're making lots of money at or be in the marriage that you spent years, decades of your life building. Um, It can take you 10 years just to stop the one thing Um,
0: or even figure out what it is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm. So fucking powerful. Yes. Like so powerful. So true. And, I, you know, it really is, you know, and again, this is my, these, these are my words on, oh, you obviously may feel differently about yourself, but your journey, you know, I really do feel like some, all of us come here, you know, spirit incarnate to have a human experience. But I do think that some of us do come with very specific body work to do. Um mm-hmm. you were mentioning like uh what you were about um it being really intimately connected to your heritage um you know as a Puerto Rican person um and the kind of like energetics of pain and oppression that was deeply moving and struck me as very true. And I think that um, with all of us uh, who have this kind of invitation, whether it be connected to something like that or not, um, I feel like something does shift when you begin to understand like, oh, this is... So I can become more finely tuned to the invitations, the whispers, the feedback of the body, as you say. So also I can help support and be a mirror for others who are seeking to understand and learn and know a little bit more about their body's feedback. And, um, just by listening to you and knowing the work that you do, it's so clear that that research has, um, helped and guided so many even if it was an intense journey for you to walk through (laughs) you know because it is intense Mm
1: -hmm. yes
0: yeah uh (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah um i wanted to segue into your authoring medicine mandala because i know that it is extraordinary and i think this year will be your third time doing it third time Mm -hmm. um and it just that of all the things that i know of you like feels most deeply like so queen of pentacles woven into the fabric like there's so much sharing it's physical and spiritual it's emotional and of the earth um and i'm just curious about how the vision for that came to be and how it started. Cause I know you co-facilitate that, I think with Carrie of elder farm, is that correct?
1: Carrie Lou is the land steward. So Got she it. really holds the land year round in integrity and our communications and our relationship helps me make sure that the program and our doings is in harmony with the
0: larger ecosystem of the land. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I just would love to know like, a, what is Medicine Mandala for those who do not know this? And B, kind of how that vision was born? Mm-hmm. So Medicine Mandala is a year-long green magic
1: apprenticeship that consists of a series of four seasonal elemental earth magic initiations that happen in person um, on the cross-quarter holidays in the pagan wheel of the year. And I'm I am of Taino and Celtic descent. I'm mixed. And so the wheel of the year is really present and alive within me and something I love to share. And uh, it is really a alternative continuing education program for healing arts professionals of various backgrounds. So it's very common for us to hear that people complete different certifications and trainings and they're like, I am completely not done. I am very undercooked. Like I cannot Mm. possibly begin my practice right now. And they find this container that, um, brings some of the more esoteric aspects perhaps of what they've been training in home for them and helps give them time and space to see how it, how they want to put together their offering in a way that feels more authentic, um, maybe less polished and professional and more fulfilling and real. Uh, and, um, that it. You know, I think like a lot of medicine was um, an alchemical baby that was birthed out of a fairly um, dark time Mm. in my own process, uh, where I think because of, I think anyone who puts themselves out there as any kind of like healer or space holder, um, you attract people with illnesses and wounds. (laughs) And um, because there's not a ton of people who are openly doing healing work around sexuality. Um, I didn't have any kind of special background in like somatic therapy or body work or psychology or the kinds of people that I think like a person with sexual trauma should seek out if I'm going to use the word should, um, and that a lot of people were, were just coming under various pretenses like, Mm. Oh, I want to work on my business or I want to like, my creativity is stifled and I want more motivation, you know, like I want to make some adjustments in my marriage, like just various pretenses who really were looking for a safe space to, um, bring forward some like buried trauma. And, um, after, about a year of doing a lot of one-on-one work with people around those themes. And um, you know, I don't want to like, I don't know, maybe just like trigger warning. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Don't get too deep into it. But uh there was a person in particular who just had the most like horrific ongoing violent sexual trauma of anyone that I'd ever met, like far beyond anything that I could imagine. And I worked with them for about a year. And just ended up, I feel like I am a companion and I help people to, to take the their o- underworld journeys that they need to take into their own shadows to reclaim parts of themselves. And I did, you know, I was fully at choice. I made the choice at many forks in the road where I was like, I don't know if I'm resourced to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I made the choice to continue supporting them, even though, probably in, in hindsight, I probably would require that someone have like three or four other additional therapists, like with that level of trauma, you know, it was a big learning experience. But at the end of it, I was just completely empty, like completely, like, kind of lost my connection to my own health. Um, And because I am kind of a shapeshifter, and I do end up like, you know, mixing and unmixing, uh, energetically with people. Um, and so I, I just kind of had, it was like, I just need to maybe probably be in the hospital or something. I just needs to be really like my own space in a really serious way. And so out of that time of just, you know, having some really hard lessons around boundaries and my business and my capacities and what, what am I doing and why, um, just, really soul searching, for lack of a better term, I came to a place where I felt that I was like on the altar before a a council of, you know, guiding beings who were taking in my whole story and listening to my plight. Like it was my chance that they were like, what do you need, little one? Like we hear Mm -hmm. you, you did a majorly good thing. And we see you and we want to honor what you did here for, you know, people and this situation what what do you want what do you need so it felt like this moment of like going on a tour of duty like going into battle and being brought home and being like awarded like like a veterans medal and that like the veterans medal was like what do you want to, like who do you want to be in in community mm. like forever after like if you were to just ask and we were to just say you get to have that and i was just like well I think I want to like retire from this level of service. And I think I want to just kind of go into my crone dome a little bit and be in the woods in the place that's healing and regenerative for me and share all the crazy shit that I've seen in my life and help other people who want to learn to navigate these, these different depths of, uh, illness and wellness and like energy and um, I want to be myself. And I want I want to be supported in sharing. I think that my journey will will probably crush me like the weight of the traumas will probably crush me unless they're unless when I share them with other people, other people say, hey, that had value for me, that helped me. So I just kind of presented to spirit like a narrative for what meaning would look like to me, like what would make my journey have meaning to me in a way that I could digest it and integrate it and say it was all worth it. And I felt like spirit took out the big like approval stamp and say, said like, okay, approved and just now you just do the work. And so I it was a big leap of faith to spend another year, more or less alone in my house on my computer, creating this program and this curriculum and this structure, just on the faith of this experience I had where I'm like, well, spirit told me that, that I get to do whatever I want now, but I just have to do it. Like, I just have to show up and build it and put the offering out there and then show up and like teach the people and do the workshops. And like, you know, totally like have, have that, you know, pick up the weight of receiving the dream versus the weight of like trying to receive a vision or working toward the dream, then like, you know, not squandering the opportunity to live the dream.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how that happened. (laughs) I mean, that's incredible. And then when you birthed it, opened it, um, what has it meant for you? What has it brought you to now be heading into your um, high priestess round, your third round?
1: I mean, just a cosmic giggle. I, like, I just have to laugh that like, I was like, I want to rest. I want to be in the woods. I want to heal myself and retire. I'll start a mystery school. <laughs> I just, like, I just, I just have to shake my head at like how spirit can like use my like brain and to trick me because yeah. it has been like the hardest two years of like steepest learning curve um, around collaboration and contracts and mm. like what is the student teacher relationship when everybody's the same age and has more or less the same tools in their belt like what is, where are the boundaries what is that dynamic just question mark just learning through doing uh, so I always say like, I'm in this apprenticeship too, you know, like yeah. I'm going to be like a fourth year apprentice and then you'll all be the th- th- third year apprentices.
0: And then there's first year apprentices. Yeah. Oh man, that's so powerful. Well, oh, I love it. it. It's such a glorious offering. And you just did, um, you just conducted an offering, I think for the first time about, um, the name of your offering is escaping me, which is so interesting, but, um, essentially a class on nonviolent communication. There was so much more to it than that. But, um, to my recollection, that was the first time you'd ever offered that. Is that correct? Uh,
1: the first work that I, I did offering nonviolent communication was actually in Uh, prison ministry that I was a part of in uh, 2007, maybe 2008. Mm. And I I deeply committed to it as a personal practice right away as like, this is the key. This is, I really believe in this. So it might even be like my religion, like the thing that I like Totally. I don't always get it right, but that I like always hold myself accountable to like, how did I do there? And like, how can I do better? And what kind of support do I need to like get this one piece of it more integrated? Um, but it has been strictly personal until the, um, the apprenticeship. And it's it's the first major module that we do together and that we do in our first weekend together is um, just communication and relationship skill share and getting humble to the reality that the reason why we experience so much heartbreak and pain around relationship is because we do not have the skills just getting yeah. everybody on the, pa- the same page we do not like universally as like the human race nonviolent communication facilitators included do not have the skills, and people who who teach these things are the ones who are humble enough to, to know I don't have the skills, and I need to put myself in a position to be accountable to them. So if I say I'm teaching this, then other people will hold me accountable to to doing the, using the English language in this really different way. Um, and so that is a major thing that I feel I offer to the community in when people are comparing like our program to other herbalist apprenticeships and other plant medicine apprenticeships is that is not offered in any other plant Mm. medicine study that I have ever encountered is just, if we're talking about communicating with plants, which whose spirits are invisible and we can't communicate with another person who can say yes or no, Chances are we're going to bring the same level of codependence and abuse to our, our plant allies that we are bringing to our human relationships. And I love the plants way too much to bring a Mm -hmm. whole bunch of people in to come and abuse them like, Mm -hmm. you know, unconsciously. So let's all get on the same page about what constitutes, um, the, uh, violence and what, what word violence is and looks like. And, um, what in a compassionate communication is so at least we know what the tools are and then of course we're going to fail we're going yeah. to fail forward indefinitely but so like it has to be paired with like a huge amount of compassion for just like the growth process and how long the integration takes but between the nonviolent mm-hmm. communication and the compassion um i i feel that the the connection that we're seeking with plants, with people in relationships, in community is actually available to us. And the the online class that you're speaking of, that was the first time that I made that um, offering available to the general public, um, to anybody who mm. wh- who is interested in getting super into it around some, like, minutiae of communication, practical and esoteric. So that was was a fun experiment and also always a, a great learning experience to see, like, how how it works to, to do it online, like, where I don't have the in-person, like, I don't have four days in person with people to really, like, feel the body language, check
0: in with people,
1: that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I love it. Thank you for sharing about that. And I would legitimately could go another hour with you, but because, uh, we can't do that today. Um, (laughs) I would love to complete our talk with a question that, um, I'm just feeling really called to ask for the listener. Um, what would you say? understanding that everyone's different, of course. Um, for those who are seeking to develop a more nourishing, circular, really even spiralic relationship with food and plant in a way to um, I don't know if I want to use the word heal themselves, but again to nurture themselves to nourish themselves. Um, I feel like so many people struggle to kind of come back home to their body's natural wisdom. So They put a lot of weight in the hands of others. And it seems like you have really begun to find or have found, um, a very intimate and unique bespoke connection that food is really a direct nourishment to you, um, while respecting that it's different for everybody. But for those who are feeling a little bit kind of lost on that journey, um, what would you say a first step is? Hmm.
1: Well, because of the setup that it's sort of like an oracular question that you're feeling for the listeners, which are going to be spread across time and space, I'm going to trust that the answer that's coming is not necessarily like going through my, coming through my brain and just really seeing, um, the white sugar has to go that there's like, there's no life in white sugar that the, the legacy of white sugar is horrifically bloody and oppressive. Um, the, uh, addiction to white sugar is equivalent to a cocaine addiction in terms of what areas of your brain are activated when you consume it. Mm. Um, and it is so thoroughly normalized. There's not a place you can take a child that they're not given a lollipop with white sugar in it. You can't take them to school without them being given snacks with white sugar in it. We have thoroughly, completely accepted the presence and um, and given ourselves permission to... Um, to live with and normalize a very serious addiction that completely distorts our reality distorts our energy distorts mm-hmm. the filters through which we see everything and uh, it's it's so loud it's so seductive that I most of the subtler energies like nature spirits, the spirit of vegetables, the spirit of the land, the spirit of the yes. seasons, our ancestors, all these other guiding forces that are around us that are in what I call like the cosmic song. It, but it is a, a conversation that they are like very much um, hoping and waiting for us to um, really come down, I think, from the high into the subtler um frequencies of like organic reality, um, that it's just drowned out. It's just steamrolled over by this really loud sensations and cravings and the way that we even might like not be able to focus all morning because we're just trying to think like trying to get to that part where we can have like our, whatever it is, if it's a, you know, a sugary drink or a treat or something, um, it just hijacks our whole journey And none of the other stuff is even possible um, because we're just living from one instant gratification high to the next. And there are other ones, of course, like coffee is a really big one for like what we do to our adrenals. But, you know, and and how that affects our ability to feel the subtle frequencies of like living energy and participate with them. But since you said one, the one that really came first and foremost is white sugar.
0: I am obsessed with that. Love it. And am so grateful that that is what came forward because I think it is extremely important and isn't discussed enough. Even though it is discussed, it really isn't in the way that you brought it forward, especially as kind of, um, incongruous with the, the far more subtle whispers and frequencies of, as you put it, the cosmic song, it can be very challenging to be in the full swim of that when you are moving up and down on the needle of white sugar. I totally agree with that. Um, I
1: think I'm hearing from what you just said too. maybe wanting to be addressed is that I think it is an unconscious part of the drive to engage in that addiction is that for some people that they are actually are empaths and they are very sensitive and the cosmic song is so overwhelming and they are trying to isolate themselves within a unique egoic persona um, because they're like a misguided idea that that's more comfortable. So like clearly people are using it with some degree of like unconscious, but intelligence that you can shut off your connection through the um, working with white sugar. And so it's just an indication you can't just stop the white sugar. If you're really, really deeply invested in that, you you need resources. You need a a Mm -hmm. therapist, a body worker, at least one person that's
0: going to support you through what comes up. Thank you for saying that. I think that's also I mean, extremely important. Um, I feel like I'm on that journey with white sugar right now, actually, where, um, like, without going into it too much, but like, I feel like um, so quickly over the course of the last few years, so many things that I was engaging in got like within a day. It was like I was told, you can't ever do that again. Um, like no more alcohol, no more, this, no more that, um, you're allergic, please stop, (laughs) you know? And, um, I feel like it's taken me years to, um, move through all of the work, all of the resourcing to, to actually have the full spectrum of support around me. Um, both internal and external to begin to say okay what is everyday life pleasure um enjoyment of life without this because um when i was like really deep in my readings cuz i'm not that's not a part of my work anymore i'm just teaching as many people know um i w- it was literally like my only source of pleasure for a while and that was mm-hmm. daunting it was so humbling to realize that and to not engage with the shame to be able to be like, Mm -hmm. okay, like that's, that's just the truth right now. So I feel like what you've just shared is so important because a lot of people don't assume that they need that resourcing or they deserve it. Or they just think like, oh, I should be able to just stop. And it Mm -hmm. is very hard, especially if it is your only source of pleasure not nourishment not necessarily I loved giving readings but it was a hard drain and then I would turn around and kind of have just the city facing back at me there was really no reciprocity there was no refilling of the well um mm. and for me giving up white sugar has also been congruous with realizing that it's time for me to leave New York City. So I feel like there's a lot that can come in and a lot that white sugar can sometimes block in a loving way if we're not quite ready to see it. So just really, Mm. just really bowing to like both of the wisdoms that you've shared. Cause I, I totally agree that the resourcing is really important, especially if we're not, because for me, like, white sugar was so helpful with not only my pleasure, but also kind of, like, blocking some parts of my sexual frequency and with kind of ebbing out my energy in a way that was a mimicry of a lot of old patterns. So coming into that was mm. huge and now is, like, there's a lot to hold <laughs> where before it was, yeah. like, on a boat of sugar. You know what I mean? Like, now, <laughs> now I'm just, like, in the water instead of above it. So, yeah, just bowing to that big time. It's big. The role of discomfort
1: is very important in shamanic initiation into full womanhood and Mm -hmm. eldership. So thank you for uh, tolerating the discomforts necessary (laughs) in order to come to
0: hold your full field more easily. Thank you for seeing me and thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Um, so this has been such deep medicine, Yaya. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you?
1: Activeculturefamily.com is mm-hmm. kind of our mothership for all <laughs> of our projects, past, present, and future. It can be connected to through that website. And then the apprenticeship has subsequently taken on enough life of its own and, and has its own dedicated website that is medicinemandala.com And I'm really quite active on Instagram and enjoying connecting with the community there. And that is just
0: at active culture family. Beautiful. Um, and I believe by the time this episode goes out, it was a complete happy accident that this happened, but I think the applications for the next round of Medicine Mandala will be open when this goes up because it's going to go up in April. Um, so for anyone seeking a way to connect with Medicine Mandala Green Apprenticeship, you can do so by going to medicinemandala.com, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm hoping to open that up on
0: April 4th. That's my birthday. So my yes. rebirthday project. Love it. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and your medicine. Um, It was so wonderful to get to talk to you. It was
1: really great to connect with you from across the country. Thanks so much for reaching out. Of
0: course.